Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Recorded Love it, love it, love it. 
I can't do it like Ebony, but she can. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Good to see you this morning. Everybody doing all right? Everybody seems to be. The weather. The weather is just still good. Amen. Icer in Cleveland when the weather is better. I had to be home last week. We were at a wedding. One of those big family weddings. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Big family weddings and down in Nashville, Tennessee. We had a good time. I want to go right to the word, Revelation. I actually put my presentation on the screen for me today, Revelation chapter 12. We are going to get deep in this thing, and next week we're going to get a little deeper. Right now we're in the phase, salvation history, phases of it, pre-creation, creation, covenant, a conflict, covenant, Christ, and Last time we left Christ out. Amen. Christ, the church, after that, recreation. Somebody took some notes. Praise the Lord. So this morning, we want to get right back in it. Well, Lord, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for such an opportunity to be able to study your word. You know that your word is a lamp right into our pathway. We rejoice today, God, because your presence is heaven to us. Then, Father, the hymn that we sang, draw nearer to you, nearer to your precious presence, God. Uh, Father, right now, what we want more than anything else is your presence. Just have the presence. So that in your presence there is fullness of joy. By your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So, Father, we are glad to know today that we're not just here by ourselves. Else we would have stayed at home. Oh, Father, we've come today because you are here. You are amongst your people. Come to worship you. So in advance, what God will say, I pray in Jesus. Amen. And amen. And amen. amen. All right, well, let's get first this morning. Uh, God is love in our currency. Okay, we've got about seven phases that we are going to be going through with us, I want to encourage you and invite your friends because we're going to really be digging out of the book of Revelation and Daniel and really will be all over the Bible. As a matter of fact, I'd like to suggest that if you really want to understand or apocalyptic like Daniel, you just need to know the Bible. Um, Revelation quoted quotes the Bible at least 404 times, I believe. So one, most scholars call the book of Revelation the fifth gospel. What do they call it, everybody? Oh, the fifth gospel. So you got Matthew. Matthew tells his side of the story about Jesus. Mark, which is really 
gospel. Tells Peter's side of the story of Jesus. Then you got Luke, who's a child, tells his side of the story of Jesus. Got John, the Bible says, who was the closest of the disciples. He actually tells his side of the story of Jesus. Those are the four gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? Most of us have come to understand that we've sort of been inadequate there. There are definitely four gospels with summarizing gospels of Jesus. There's really a fifth gospel in the book of Revelation because the book of Revelation is the autobiography. You know what a biography is. Biography is when you write a book about somebody else. Autobiography is when you write the book yourself. Come on, say amen. So the book of Revelation really just the autobiography. Christ is saying, okay, I let Matthew have his turn. I let Mark or Peter have his shot. You can have your say. John, you can have your say. But it's time for me to have my say. Amen. So the book of Revelation is saying, now let me tell you my side of the So it is the last book in the Bible. It is really the culmination. Genesis all the way to the very end. 66th book of the Bible, it's the culmination of everything, if you please, that God has been trying to say. Now, having said all that, the point I want to make to you really is this. I really want to understand Revelation. I'm going to show that today as we study the text. I'm just trying to teach you how to break it down. If you want to understand Revelation, you just need to be in the Bible. If you understand the Old Testament and the New Testament, then the book of Revelation ain't no trouble for you. So let me say it another way. If you are, if you are a committed Bible student, in the book of Revelation, comes a little easier for you. Come on, say amen. Understand Revelation. Just jump into the Bible willy-nilly every now and then. Amen? So this is one of the reasons why people often struggle in this book, mainly because they are not students of the Bible in general. Come on, say amen. Come on, say amen. I would encourage you to just be a student of the Bible. And you see, here the seven phases one more time. Pre-creation. Well, let me, let me just break this out. I say seven phases. I'm saying here this. Planet Earth has existed probably for a little more than 6,000 years if you are a creationist. Amen. If you're, if you're an evolutionist, you some more crazy stuff like we've been around here for millions and millions of years. But according to the word of God, in the God created the heaven and the earth. We believe from that time that he said that word and the world came into existence in days, six literal days. Rested on the seventh day. Way before there was a, uh, a Moses or, or a Jew or anything like that, it was his idea from the beginning that there be a Sabbath, that, that after creation, that folks, after a work week, that folks take some time. If I can work and rest and you can work, right? So really, that was his mind. So watch this now. From that point until now, we have lived in seven different dispensations or phases of salvation, all right? In other words, God is working through your history. Somebody say history. Love this about God. God is working through history to save not just you, but mankind. It's crucial that I've emphasized that. And somebody say mankind. Mankind or humankind, if you want to say that. It sounds uh, non-exclusive. But, 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 but what we're saying is God is concerned about everybody being saved. The Bible says he's feeling that any should perish, but that all, how many everybody? All should come to repentance. So this is deep to me. I actually think this is amazing. That God is able. If you look at the beginning of the book of Revelation, it actually says this. It says, this is a book about he who was, he who is, president, and he who is to come. In other words, God's thing is, is I, I mean, if, if he had big, big old arms, you can see it that way. He's gathering in his people. From the beginning of time to now, and he's trying to get some folks to just buy into him. 
<laughs> Just I mean, buy into Jesus by your call. That's how they call followers of Jesus believers. You know why they call you a believer? Because that's the do you believe in me? And so you ain't the only believer. There's some believers that have died and going on before us, amen. There are some believers who have not even been born yet. Come on, praise the Lord. And God's saying, I want to wrap all of them in. So there's a pre-creation, there's a creation, there's a conflict, there's a covenant, Christ at the cross, there is the church, which we are living in that dimension. And then there's recreation. This is to say, that's the time where the Bible says and predicts and prophesies that Jesus Christ will come again. Who says amen to that? I'm looking forward to the coming of Jesus. All right, let's get into the scripture today and looking at. Now, Revelation 12 for your notes today. And I'm going to tell you, this series might be boring to you. Trying to study it afterwards, as I've discovered. Book of Revelation, talking about prophetic things, it's boring to people who don't plan on studying it thereafter. Amen? I mean, if I were to preach, I was to preach entirety. All the details of Revelation 12, I could do that in a whole year. I can just preach Revelation 12 in a year. Only way for you to absorb the truths of this, you got to hear what you hear here, and then back to your Bible and get in the bills trying to get out of that where the pastor tells me everything. I actually go back and study. Revelation 12, let's read together. The Bible says, now a great sign appeared in where? Heaven. Together, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, on her head a garland of 12 stars. Verse 2, then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give what? Birth. All right, so we got a pregnant woman who we know that woman is the church. Then the Bible goes on to say, and another sign appeared in where? Oh, the great fiery red dragon having seven heads and seven diadems on his head. Verse 4 says, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. For those of you who remember, what do stars represent? According to Revelation, the first chapter of Revelation, verse 19, the Bible says, And the dragon stood before the woman, so get now, and who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as born. So we got a dragon trying to kill a baby. Verse 5, she bore a male child. This is going to become clear in a minute. This dragon trying to kill a baby. She bore a male child. Who was the male child, everybody? Jesus Christ, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. The word caught up really is imagery of Jesus ascending, resurrected, and then ascending to heaven. So y'all know this, right? When Jesus lived, then he died and rose again. And what did he do after that? He went up to heaven. The Bible says that the dragon tried to stop him, tried to kill him, tried to mess up his life, tried to stop him from dying, or tried to kill him, didn't realize that the killing him actually saved us. Come on, say amen. Worked against him. Then the Bible says that just when he thought he had him, he was caught up. His throne, and that's what Satan was trying to do, simply stop God from getting to the throne. Because if you recall, Satan wants God's what? Wants God's throne. Y'all don't look at me this morning. Verse 6. Then the woman fled into the wilderness. The woman, the church, fled into the wilderness where, and I heard Elder Cox preach on the wilderness last week. By the way, Elder Cox and the wing all preached some powerful sermons. Praise the Lord. Oh, I am listening. Praise God. But I'm not here. I can still hear the word of God. Praise the Lord. Word. Then a woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should, you know, mind this, mind this, don't wait when you get in my sermon, blind this up here. The Bible says that they should feed her there. Don't forget this text. Uh, how long, everybody? 1,260 plus 
baby. All right, now, so that was the scene on earth. We got a dragon trying to kill Jesus, trying to kill a baby. But the baby won. So the dragon was defeated. The dragon was what? On the earth, the dragon was defeated. By Christ's life, the dragon was defeated. The dragon was what, everybody? All right, now, let's go to the scene in heaven. Next verse. Look at how Revelation start in Start on earth. Now, let's go back to heaven. And give you verse. And war broke out where? Huh? Michael and his angels fought with the, and the dragon and his angels did what? So what the Bible is doing is telling you why dragon was defeated on planet Earth. Basically, what he's saying is there was this war between the baby and the dragon. The baby grew up to be a king. So let me give you the backstory on this. Heaven is telling you the backstory. It all started where everybody it started in heaven. That's the backstory is is which the beast that you're seeing down here because there's a story behind it. Dragon and Michael, who we know to be Jesus, verse 8, but they did not what? Prevail. In other words, Satan was not strong enough, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. He got demoted and he got kicked out. Verse 9, verse nine. so the great dragon, watch, watch how the Bible just explains. I'm really trying to show you in the passage way I get is just that if you read it a little bit and think a little bit, stuff will get clear. Verse 9, so the great dragon was what? That serpent of old called who? And that Bible's already told us who dragon is there, right? And what else is his name? And Satan, who does what? To see the whole world, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out what? With him. The Bible basically just explained everything you read before then. See how that works? When you go into your studies, if you just hang in there, it'll get clear. Verse 10, then I heard a loud voice in heaven. This is what it said. Our salvation. And what else, everybody? The kingdom of our what? Our of his Christ have what? Have come for the accuser of our brethren, you for our God day and night has been cast down. Verse 11. And they overcame him by what? And by the word of their what? And they did not love their lives to the point of death. That's actually the plan of, over, of overcoming. Verse 12. Therefore, what should we do? Rejoice, O heaven, to you who dwell in them. But what we ought to do is, on planet Earth, go to the inhabitants of the earth and for the devil. Has come down to who? Having great what? Because he knows that he has a short time. Now, if you have a Bible that you can underline or you can highlight it in your tablet, I like that verse because that's going to be the verse that gives us understanding as to what's about to happen in the third section of Revelation 12, which we're going to end today. So, there was a war on planet Earth between one. Satan was defeated. Then the Bible says, that when this war started, it started in heaven. The Bible says the same thing happened. Against Christ, and he was defeated and demoted. Come on. Wanted Christ's throne, but he cannot have it. Then the Bible says, after getting beat twice, beat down twice. I'm going to preach this thing today. After getting beat down twice, the Bible says the devil now has great wrath. Wrath is just a cheap way of saying he's mad. Mad. He's very mad. How many know the sickness? And I want you to begin to open up your spiritual mind to understanding that we are not living in a playground. We're living on a battlefield. Planet Earth is a battlefield, not a playground, mother. Come say amen. That's where we are. Oh, notice what it says. And this is frightening. To, it, ought to, it ought to make us sober. The devil has come down with great wrath. The word great is the word mega. Mega. He's mega mad. Because, and watch this now, he knows that he has what? A short time. He's a devil. The Bible says, now, here's the third section. Now, you've got to remember that 
His time is short and he's angry. Remember that to everybody? Time is short and he's what? Time is short and he's what? Angry because he knows he has a short time. Now, here's the third scene. After we end, the Bible says in Revelation 12, 13, when the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, go down. He pursued the who? Or who? The church. Thank you very much. Pursued the woman who had given birth to the what? But notice now, remember the first time the dragon saw the pregnant woman and he after the child? Now that the child is digging down twice, you're not, you're not going after Jesus no more. He's going after us. Okay? Uh, the Bible says he knew the woman who had given birth to the child. Verse 14, the woman was given the two great eagle five, the place prepared for her in the wilderness. Now, like that, for somebody who does not know the Bible, it's confused after you lost me. Right, just get to your sermon. Just preach it. No, I'm going to teach you how to study the book of Revelation. Uh, uh, my pastor, no, preach. Get, get, I'm going to hear your points. I need to hear something that's going to apply to my life. No, what you need to hear is how to study the word of God so you can apply it yourself. And so let me show you what just happened here. Don't get lost. Look at the, Examine that thing. A woman was given two wings of a great eagle after the place prepared for her in the wilderness. That's the third time we've heard the word wilderness, right? And, and, and wings of an eagle. First time you've heard that phrase. Now, you hear the word wilderness, what do you often when you when you hear the word wilderness, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Children of Israel. Children of Israel, right? That's it. That's it. So what Revelation does is Revelation doesn't just come out and say it. Revelation speaks Revelation is like hip hop. Like poetry. Or I mean what why poetry have to be so artistic? Because of it. I don't think we use metaphors. It sounds good. It just you know, it makes you think. And so what God is trying to do is make us think. Now, those that heard this at that time would have understood very clearly what he was talking about because they were Jews and all they had was the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. So when they hear stuff like this, they automatically know what we saw. Oh my goodness, the church was given wings just like the children of Israel escaped from accident. Okay. Talk to me now, Pastor. Oh, so what happened then? Oh, there was a Pharaoh who was trying to enslave them because, and notice what the request was. The request was, let us go out to the wilderness so that we might what? So that we might worship God. And so there was a Pharaoh, that, virtually speaking, in the last days, that's going to come down on the church, that's going to try to keep the church from worshiping God. Now listen, we didn't look at a commentary. We didn't look at spirit of prophecy. We're just looking at the text and using our brain. Amen? So the Bible basically says is now the church escapes wilderness. All right? Where she would be, I love this word, taken care of for how long, everybody? A time, time, and half a time out of the serpent's reach, which I'm going to break down today. Verse 15, from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river. No, 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 no. You hear the word serpent spewing water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. When you hear serpent, where does that take your mind to in the Bible? And what was the serpent trying to do to the woman or the church? Deceiver. So watch this now. This issue of Satan going after women is not a new thing. Oh, I can't. <laughs> and the spiritual implications of it are the same. He did not go after Adam. He went after the woman. Now, I'm going to tell you why in a minute. 
Verse 16, but the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Point, the dragon is failing again. He can't beat Jesus. He can't beat him in heaven. He can't beat him on earth. And now he goes after the church. He can't beat them either. Fails again. Then the dragon was what? Do you, you see why he's mad now? I'm going to illustrate this in a second. Then the dragon was what? Enraged at the hoop woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her what? So now he's mad at the woman and what does he do? He goes and makes war against her children. So he goes from Christ to Christ fail, 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 to the, the woman, the church fail, and now he's going after her children. Wage war against the rest of her offering. Who are her children? Those who do what? Keep God's commands and hold fast to the testimony about Jesus. Now, I want to just say this as an aside for those of you who are really going to study this. This is just, this ain't for the rest of us. This is for those who are going to really go study it. All right, so check this out. The woman that you see in Revelation 12 ended up turning into the woman that you see in Revelation 17, a harlot. Revelation 18, there's a harlot, right? Yeah, she turns into that. I can't wait to talk about how she turns into that. And so now the attention, so watch this now, the attention of the dragon is no longer on the woman. The attention of the dragon, watch this now, is against her children. Don't think, read. Then the dragon was enraged at the what? Uh, No, read, read. Then the dragon was enraged at the, and went off to wage war against the rest of her what? So if, 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 if Akil is my son, Right? And there's somebody that's got beef with me and know he can't beat me. I see this all the time. What's he going to do? And this is what I've seen. In, and let's just be real. Let's break and we make it practical now. And some of you are lying. Adults. Those of you who have children. The devil knows that he can't fool with you. So what's he doing? He's fooling with your children. Are y'all with me this morning now? Are you with me now? Are we at the table together now? Can we eat together now? Do you see what I'm talking about? That is a satanic strategy, and I want to take it even further. This ain't really in my sermon today, but that's the reason why there was so much coming at our young people. Some of y'all, he can't fool with you, but he knows if he wants to get to you, he'll get to you through the children. Who are his children? Those who do what? Keep God's commands. And hold to the testimony of Jesus. All right, so quick summary. Revelation 12, there are three sections. First thing needed to say, Christ outwitted and defeated Satan on earth. Then his life and ascension. Number two, Christ demoted Satan in heaven and defeated him at the cross. Three, Satan declares war against the church and his people. What's, what's happening here? Satan getting his behind whipped is making him angry and angry. You hear? That's why when somebody gets baptized, you know, you ever notice when you're in the world, it bothers you, but it ain't for real, for real. But as soon as you do something to serve God, the right thing, I mean, I trust me now, just look at your life for a minute. Then I, I promise you that the worst trials that you've experienced, but not when you were out in the world, the worst trials you've experienced have been since you've made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's mad. He's mad at you before, but he's really mad at now. Are y'all here? Now, nobody likes losing. I love the Lord. Oh, I love him. I love the Lord. But I don't like losing anything. 
I don't care how spiritual you are here. You're acting like you're crazy. You don't like it. No one wants to be a loser. Come on, say amen. If it can be Uno, I'm coming out on top. Come on, say amen. I mean, I one on one basketball game with my son. I'm going to win two or three games. That's a wild I'm, I'm winning the last game. Come on, say amen. I don't like losing. Now, if there's anybody that understands losing, it's folks from Cleveland. Huh? Couldn't help it. Couldn't help it. Couldn't help it. Good. And let me tell you, I'm, so I'm sitting there yesterday. I'm sitting there yesterday, and I'm and I and I say, Lord, I need a, I need a way to illustrate the anger of Satan. Brothers and sisters, now I'm not from Cleveland, but you know that I have embraced your sports teams, have I not? I have embraced them. Come on, Carl, give me give me my props. I have embraced these teams. I feel sorry for you guys. Seriously, man. I mean, seriously, years and years of losing. Anybody that hates Cleveland folks, they just don't have a heart. I mean, the, the disappointment, the drive, the fumble. Uh, come on, say amen, somebody. Somebody knows what I'm talking about here. Uh, uh, the last second shot over and over again by Michael Jordan. Come on, say amen. The seven-game series against the Atlanta Braves that came to failure. I mean, we're always getting close enough. Carl is getting angry right now. Pray for him, Ella. Uh, uh, we're, uh, we're always getting there. Come on, say amen. And then we had LeBron. We had the best player in the world. And then, I mean, I, listen, I feel this. I sat down and I said to my wife, Game five against the Celtics two years ago. Some of you remember this game. When he was acting like his elbow was by, I said, he needs to go. It's time for him to go. He's not, he's not mature. He's not mature. He needs to go. Now, little did I know that my words would have been prophetic. And then he's going to make, I mean, listen, brothers and sisters. Uh, some of y'all think that what Dan Gilbert did in his response was racist. But y'all felt the same way. The, the way. The way that LeBron James and left. Can we just talk for a minute? I'm trying to illustrate. Listen, we ain't getting into the flesh. Some of y'all say, that's what don't talk about basketball tomorrow. Uh, I'm trying to illustrate something here, all right? Can you work with me now? Uh, he, 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 he should not have done it that way. Especially, now, if this was San Francisco or Dallas or other places where they're used to winning, maybe people could have stomached it a little bit better. But I'm just telling you, I'm telling the psychology of the, of the Clevelander. Of all the people that you're going to do that to, how would you do it to these folks who are looking for somebody to get them a win? I'm going to tell you something. One of the things I've noticed about folks from Cleveland is just the negativity. Amen. So you can't see it because you're here. But there is a natural, there is a self-loathing that I have noticed. I mean, we, we make fun of ourselves. And, 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 and you see it always on TV. Watch television sometimes. Anytime there's a reference to Cleveland, it's negative. Amen. Have you ever noticed? I, I didn't notice that until I, just, until I got here. And so I'm proud to be from Cleveland. I, I, I'm telling folks I'm from Cleveland. And I like, I like living here. Don't plan on going nowhere. Praise the Lord. Oh, yes, I like being here. And, but, 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 but what I've noticed is that there's so much... I, I, just the other day, I was in Nashville. Somebody said to me, they said, where are you from? Where's your church? Where are you from? I said, I'm from Cleveland. Are you from Cleveland? <laughs> like, what happened here? I, I'm not, I'm not gonna, but it's more than sports. It's more than sports. But there seems to be a cloud. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on, talk to me, y'all. Does anybody know? There's a cloud of negativity on this city. And it is a look. Please don't be offended because I'm with you. Uh, listen, if, if I were leaving tomorrow, then I'd let you stone me. But I'm, I'm here in the fight with you. But we, 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 we reinforce. We reinforce this mindset here. And I'm going to tell you what it is. When you have 
industry. This, this city used to be the top, used to be the fifth largest city in the United States. Am I not right there? This used to be the city. And don't sit up there and say, well, it's the weather. It's not the weather because you got Minneapolis. Come on, say amen. There are other cities where it's cold, Chicago. It's not the weather. It's the attitude. The corruption in government. Come on, say amen. All these things have contributed, listen to me now, to a, feel me saying, to a losing mindset. And it's played out in sports to the extent that we feel that we are losers. Here's the thing. You get I was playing a video game with uh, uh, the young brother that come over. And, and what happened is I used to be winning all the time, but then I lost one. And so what happens is when you lose one game, you say, come on, let's run it back. Uh-huh. Play one more. Why? I get a win. <laughs> I'm not le- I ain't leaving a loser. Come on, tell you that. And then I lost again. Even worse. One more. Uh-huh. One more. <laughs> Those of you that gambled back in the day, y'all know what I'm talking about. Oh, well, let's get one more in. Play another game. Lost. It's my time now. One more day. You see the desperation now. Now I'm humiliating myself. It's time for me to turn the game off. Come on, say amen. And go somewhere. But when you lose a lot, it messes with your mind. Well, this brother right here. Now, I, I'm just telling you, just now, I've never seen, never seen it like this. I have never seen a trade in pro basketball that makes this much of a difference where Mother knows that it happened yesterday. Mother, don't watch basketball, but Mother, did you know what happened with LeBron James? Did, do you watch basketball a lot? Do you, do you know who LeBron James is? Now, now let's be honest. Now, now, this is not what I'm going to do. Some other preachers today, they've already planned out. They told me, they said, man, thank God for the LeBron James story. I'm going to preach that tomorrow. And so their sermon was, the king is coming, you know. You know, somebody, and, and the point they told me they were going to make was, you all more excited about LeBron coming than the coming of Jesus. You know, I'm not going to do that. See, because I understand Cleveland a little bit better. This is the point I want to make today. When you've been used to losing for a long time, man, it feels good just to have somebody Cleveland. Amen. Oh, y'all not hearing me now. Amen. And somebody on this level, come on, Doc, you feel me, to say, listen, I'm going back to Cleveland. Now, I don't care who you are. If you got a bad attitude, you just got a bad attitude. But I feel good about it. I feel good. It has nothing to do with basketball. Some of y'all can spiritualize it and say, well, Jesus, I ain't trying to hear that today. Let's celebrate for a minute. LeBron's coming back. Come on, say that. Come on, somebody. Now, let me tell you why I think it's significant. Because, illustratively, I think it makes a point that's deeper than sports. I want you to listen to his words, and then I want to close this sermon. I'm going to bring bring this sermon to clarity. I'm spending too much time on this, but I'm just going to do what God needs me to do, all right? Now, notice what LeBron said yesterday, and it spoke volumes to me about losing culture. Listen to this. He said, before anyone ever cared where I would play basketball, I was a kid from where? It's where I walked, it's where I ran, it's where I cried, it's where I bled. It holds a special place in my people there have seen me grow up. I sometimes feel like I'm, uh, I'm sorry, like, I, like I'm their son. He says their passion can be overwhelming. <laughs> Thanks for telling the truth. I ain't never seen fans like this in my life. All right? It can be overwhelming, but he says it drives me. I want to give them hope. Now, do you see this? 
No, it's not over spiritualized. Some folks are looking for deeper meaning. Jesus, nice. LeBron, look, is he an antichrist? No, brothers and sisters, calm down. Listen to what he's saying. He says, I want to give hope when I what? I want to inspire them when I can. My relationship with Northeast Ohio is bigger than basketball. I didn't realize that four years ago. I do now. When I left Cleveland, I was on a mission. I was seeking championships, and we won two. But Miami already knew that feeling. Our city hasn't had that feeling in a long, long, long time. My goal is still to win as many titles as possible, no question. But what's most important, watch this now, please don't miss this, this is deep in the sport. What's most important for me is bringing one trophy back to Northeast Ohio. But this is not about the roster or the organization. I feel my calling here goes above basketball. I have a responsibility to lead in more ways than one. I can take that very, I take that very seriously. My presence can make a difference in Miami, but I think it means more where I'm from. I want kids in Northeast Ohio, like the hundreds of Akron third graders I sponsor through my foundation, to realize that there's no better place to grow up. Maybe some of them will come home after college and start a family or open a business. That would make me smile. Our community, which has struggled so much, needs all the talent they can get in Northeast Ohio. Nothing is given. Everything is earned. You work for what you have. I'm ready to accept the challenge. I'm coming home. Y'all hear that? Okay, so here's the point I want to make. I've never seen a reaction like that to a player who comes back to a city. Can I tell you why? Because when you lose a lot, when you lose a lot, you get desperate. Now, he may break your heart again and may never win. And y'all will turn on him again. All right. So here's the point I make. Do you see what desperation does? It causes the city to rejoice in somebody moving here. It makes them do stupid stuff like burn jerseys. And now they wish they hadn't burned them. I heard some folks jump off the 480 bridge at the losses. Nobody wants to be a loser. Amen. Come on in here, somebody. You don't want to lose in life. You don't want to fail as a parent. You don't want to fail as a city. You don't want to fail in your business. You don't want to fail. Nobody wants to be a failure. Nobody wants to be a loser. Nobody wants to be somebody who gets beat down all the time, over and over again. Every time you try, you fail. You try, you fail. You try, you fail. You try, you fail. You're a human being, and you don't like to lose, and you're powerless, and you're a sinner, and you don't have control over anything in your life. Can you imagine what it feels like to be a fallen angel? Who used to sit on the mount of God. And for every time that he has tried to come against God, he fails. This is somebody that believes, Wilbur and Russ, that he is God. And each time he goes after Jesus in heaven, fails, gets kicked out. He goes after the church on planet Earth, fails. He goes after the baby and can't kill us, Lord. Do you see the frustration building up in Satan? Do you see why he's angry? He's trying to steal you, and you got saved. 
somewhere in a tent meeting, somewhere in a revival. You show up in church drunk one day, and the Lord, the Holy Ghost got a hold of you. Come on, talk to me and hear somebody. And every loss, every time that he sees a victory for Jesus Christ, it makes them more and more mad. Now I got something to say today. Keep on making him mad. Take him off. Come on in here, beloved. Let's make him mad as a church family. What do you say, Saints? Glenville, let's make him mad. Let him boil over and blow up his top. Let him come after us. I don't care because every time that he come after the church, the Bible says that the Lord made a way and protected us. The only reason why you're here today is because Jesus loves you more than he loves himself. Now, Scripture says when the dragon saw that he had been defeated, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings on the line that of a great eagle at the children of Israel. He escaped. Come on, somebody. Somebody say, I made it out. Somebody shout, I made it out. Somebody shout, I escaped. Come on, somebody. Not just the children of Israel, but how many know you walked through a red sea? Hi, God. How many know the enemy was trying to kill you? But you got out. But you didn't get out on yourself. Come on, say amen. If you know you got a Holy Ghost hook up, wave your hand in the air and bless his name. If you didn't make it out on your own, it wasn't because you were faithful. It's because he was faithful. Come on in here, sister. Huh? Every time the enemy would come after the church, God would defend the church. And you know why Satan is angry? Because he's saying, you kick me out and you're protecting them. <laughs> Exodus 19.4 gives us more insight. It says, you still got wings as an eagle? Y'all caught that? Wings as an eagle? Gave them supernatural strength to get away? Notice what the Bible explains this. This is a, this is a reference from Exodus 19.4. Write that down. Write that down. Write that down. The Bible says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. How I carried you on what? And brought you to where? Do you see the imagery now? So what God is saying, rewind, is basically the same way <laughs> that I delivered the children of Israel. Now, can I tell you all something? Elder Cox preached that last week. Some children of Israel didn't deserve to be saved. Yeah. Oh, y'all sitting here too holy today. Those children of Israel. Now, if I were God, and if y'all were God, y'all would have left there complaining, murmuring behind. Talk to me now. In the wilderness. Do you realize that, that while Satan is angry, he is mad because he feels like God is going out of his way? To save folks that don't even care about what he's doing. And he's right. That's like the children of Israel. As soon as some of us get saved, our attitude gets bad. Some of you, 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 listen, some of you are worse people now that you're doing the church than when you were before you joined. Because you're brand new now. Can't nobody tell you nothing. Adam says that pride is almost incurable. Of all sin, pride is the worst one. When you begin to look down your nose at other folks just because you've learned a little something in a, in a meeting and, and you got a new Bible text that you've been studying, you have the nerve to walk your behind around here like a peacock and think that you're some God. Shut your mouth. How many know in here that the only reason why you're as blessed as you 
you are, why you are as loved as you are, is not because there's anything special about you. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> the only reason why I've got table all over my life is because of his goodness and his mercy and his grace and his compassion and his long suffering. Not willing that I should perish, but that I should come to repent. Thank God for Jesus. Scripture says that it gives us an indication of how long this took place in history. Because that this woman who escaped will be taken care of, now watch this now, for a time, times, and half a time. Everybody say that. Times, times, and half a time. And most folks, when they read this, oh, I can't understand this. Let's break it down. This is a repeat. I was basically saying, prophetically, there is a point in history where God kept his people for a time, time, half time. I'm going to say amen. Verse 6, Bible says, then the woman fled into the, uh-huh, now we're going back now. I'm showing you the comparison of the same text. Revelation, we just read Revelation 13, 14. Now in Revelation chapter 6, 12, verse 6, which is just a few verses ahead, it gives us the same amount of time. Watch this. It says, then the woman fled into the wilderness, for she has a place prepared by God that she should feed her there for how long? 1,260 days. So the 1,260 days and the time, time, half a time seem to be the same time period. Do you understand that? Come on, sir. You're with me now. Does that make sense to you? All right, so what is this thing? In Daniel 7, the same time period is talked about. I'm not trying to overstate this, but the Bible can be understood. He will speak against the most high, describing the little horn power. Or basically what the Bible's doing is telling you who Pharaoh was that tried to enslave the church. He said he will speak against the most high. History. He will do what everybody. He will oppress his holy one. He will try to change the set times and what the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time. Time. Look, look at the Bible. So look at that. Look at that. Now, can I say something to you guys? This is I, know, I, I, I preach all, I preach this stuff often. And when I get to this stuff, this is the, this is the point of the sermon where folks get bored. Now, let me tell you why I get bored. Because God mentioned this time period four times in the Bible. Now, help me out. If, if the Lord says something four times over and over again in a short amount of time, must mean it's important. Amen? Must mean we need to figure out what's going on here. Because if the church was protected, was kept, was preserved for this 1260 days, for this time, time, half the time. What is it? Revelation 13 all says the same thing. Obviously, the beast was given a mouth to utter what? Proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for how long? 42 months. All right? It opens its mouth to blaspheme God, to slander his name, his dwelling place, to those who live in heaven. Bible says it was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them, and it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. So, let's break it down. A time, time, and half a time, 42 months, is the same as the 1260-day period. Everybody get that? The same time period. It's just a whole different way. So, in the Hebrew language, the word time means one year. Times means how many? Two years. Half a time means what? Half a year. 
If you add that up, that's three and a half years. Question, how long was, how, how, how long was Jesus' ministry? How long was Jesus' ministry? Three and a half years. Amen? So basically what the Bible is indicating with the time, time, half a time is that the church in that time period is going to go through a similar experience that Jesus went through in the three and a half years of his ministry. What's the first thing that happened to Jesus when he started his ministry? He went into the wilderness and he was fun everybody. He was tried and tempted. There's a time in earth's history where the church had to go through the wilderness like Christ to be tried and to be tempted. But the Bible also says that this time of trying and tempting was also a time where God preserved his church. The Bible says 42 months. If you add up 42 months, 42 months equals three and a half years. Amen? Uh, 360, and the Hebrew calendar, they don't go 365, they go 360. 360 plus 360 plus 180 equals what? 1260 days. According to Numbers 1434, Ezekiel 406, the Bible gives us a principle for interpreting prophetic time periods. The Bible says it's a day for a year. A day for what, everybody? A day for a year. What time period in Earth's history lasted 1,260 years? Yeah. Okay. That's right. Look at Revelation 12. The Bible says, Then the woman said it to the, watch this carefully. The little woman said it to the what? Wilderness where she has a place of care by what? That, she, that, that they should see her there what? 1,260 what? And then the Bible says, The woman was given the two wings of a great what? So that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the where she would be taken care of for a what? Time, time, half a time out of the service reason. The point I want to make to you here is that watch this. Satan angry at God's feet goes after them with intensity after its birth. After the birth of the it's the same thing he did to Jesus. When Jesus was born, he went after him. Got me now? So he, when the church was born in the apostolic time, Satan went after the church for three and a half prophetic years, for 1,260 years, in order to destroy the church. And I want, this is why I'm telling you all this, not so you can have facts. The same way, there's a reason why it's in the Bible, y'all. Can I tell you why God has put all this stuff that you got to dig deeper for to understand? Can I tell you why? The same way that Satan went after the church for 1,260 years is the same thing he's doing in your life now. And if you're not cognizant of it, you will be deceived and lost. And you've got to hear this word today. Revelation 12, 15 says, Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman. He did what? When, 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 uh, when, when you begin to look at Genesis 3, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He, did, he said to the woman, did God really say? Watch this now. We know that during this time period that the serpent or Satan is going to say stuff. Basically, this is a point that's making that the enemy during this time period tried to inundate and saturate and to deceive the church into believing lies. If Satan can't make you do something, he's going to try to trick you into doing it. See, most of y'all are too smart to, to fall into certain sins. But see, most of, most of us don't walk into sin. We fall into sin. You know why you fall in? Because you were deceived. This is the first woman. She represents the church. She was perfect. If Eve, who lives in the presence of God, hear me, brothers and sisters, can be deceived, then who do you think you are? And you're in your Bible. 
this down. It's to cast doubt in the word of God. The first strategy of the enemy to destroy the church during that time period was to destroy trust in God's word. And I'm going to tell you right now, look at your own life. Most of us in here, under, we, we, we know what the Bible says, but we do not believe the word. You believe the Sabbath, but you don't believe he can heal your body. You don't have faith in his word. You, oh, God help me today. I'm talking about a faith that is, oh, we used to sing a song when I was in the Pine Forge Choir and they only, y'all remember Barry saying that song, oh, for a faith that will not shrink, though pressed by many a foe, that will not tremble on the brink of any earthly world. In other words, God wants to give us a faith that don't need to see nothing. I don't need to see it. I just need to hear what God says. Thank you, Jesus. And when God I believe. I don't need to be persuaded. I don't need to see it. When the word of God spoken, I will do what God says. Now, all of this, this whole Revelation 12, is a prophetic explanation. What did I say, everybody? Come on, y'all deep. Let's get in it then. We're going to study. Let's study. Revelation 3 is a prophetic explanation of Genesis 3, 15. We've got an angry devil who's going after a woman. Sounds like Genesis 3 to me, doesn't it? Got an angry serpent going after Adam? No. Why is he going after the woman? Can I tell you now? Let's just give you a hint real quick. You know why he goes after the woman? Because a woman has children. A man can't have no kids. Come on in here, y'all. Come on in here. Come on in here, somebody. Come on in here, beloved. You know why he goes after the woman? Because he's afraid that a baby might come. <laughs> Did anybody ever see Superman before? I, I got it. See, y'all ain't in the world, so I got to go. I got to go come along in now. In Superman, uh, the Superman story is basically about a war that goes on in Krypton. And when the war happens in Krypton, uh, uh, the, the, the war affects planet Earth. And so they send the baby, which happens to be Clark Kent Superman. And when he falls down to planet Earth, he falls as a baby. A, a family in Kansas finds him. Sounds mighty familiar to him. And when the family in Kansas finds him, they raise him up to be a good kid. But he knows from the beginning that his mission is to save and protect planet Earth. Oh, and so, let's move forward. Amen. His number one desire was to try to kill that baby and to stop that baby from saving the earth. It's the same thing in your Bible, but you watch too many movies. I'm telling you what the word of God said. Satan in Genesis 3 is going after a woman. Why? Because a woman can have children. If you, uh, listen, anybody ever had an exterminator? Come to you, you know what the exterminator is looking for? He's looking for the host. Oh, come on in here. He's not looking for male ants. Come on, some male roaches. He's looking for the queen. Oh, come on in here. I need y'all to play with your boy today. Why is he looking for the queen? He's looking for the queen because the queen is the one that multiplies the mating. See, you up there spraying that organ stuff and rain. That ain't going to do nothing but stop him for a few minutes. But if that woman keeps having babies, come on in here, somebody. Same thing happened with Moses. You remember, remember when they tried to kill the baby Moses? 
I mean, trying to kill all the babies. Uh, Pharaoh trying to kill all the babies. But the Bible says that the more he tried, the more they multiplied. It says that the women, when they were giving birth, had superhuman strength to just keep multiplying babies. In Rwanda, a few years ago, y'all remember what happened in Rwanda? The, 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 the Tutsis and Hutus were fighting against each other. These two tribes. And we had Seventh-day Adventists that were a part of each tribe trying to kill each other. And you know what they would do? They would go up to pregnant women and they would rip the baby out of their womb because it's called genocide. Genocide is to destroy a nation. Satan goes after the woman in Genesis 3 and he goes after the woman in Revelation 12. Why? Because he knows that that woman can have some babies. Now, what baby is he afraid of? What y'all here today? What baby is he trying to kill? It was already prophesied in Genesis 3. Notice, look at the prophecy. It says, and I will put what? Between you and the what? And between your offspring and who? And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now examine that. I'm going to end on this today. Let's examine this. And I will put enmity. That word enmity, Bible students, is hostility. Hostility is another word for war. What God is saying to the surface after Adam and Eve sin, God says, I got to figure out how to fix this thing. What he says is, okay, what I'm going to do is, I'm going to put something inside of you that's going to hate each other. That's why it is unnatural for us to follow after Satan. Because God puts in enmity, hostility in us to hate him. You get me that? Now watch this. Now this is amazing. Look, look carefully at the text. The Lord says, the only way I can help them is I've got to give them a conscience. We hear? You've got to have a conscience. There are times you know when you ain't right. Amen? Nobody has to tell you you're wrong. You know when you're wrong. Amen? Holy Spirit or not. If a person kills somebody, I don't care if they've ever read, thou shalt not kill. It's disturbing. To their makeup, even though we did want to browse, we still find it difficult to just go and kill somebody. When you lie, some of us lie very easily, tell the truth. But there's something in you that says, I lie. That wasn't right. But see, what Satan wants us to do is, the more you repeat behaviors, the more familiar they become to you, and the more normal they are. Now, now can I blow your mind for a second? That's why there are some sins in your life that are so deep-seated that you need somebody else to tell you that you got them because you can't see them no more. And this is why uh, Seth Christ says, the closer we get to Jesus... The more, the more unworthy we will appear in our own eyes, the more flaws we will see with ourselves. See, so anybody that walks around like they got, they, like they, like they got gift to the church is a person that is under clear deception. Amen. Can I give you an example of that? Satan. Honestly, Satan doesn't think he did anything wrong. He is so convinced that he's right. The Bible says that when he lies, he doesn't even know he's lying because he speaks his native language. Some of us are so not in God's word. All of it goes back to this. Satan starts by getting you to place doubt or place your opinion 
over God's word, and we're going to understand this a little bit more as we go along. Some of you guys know where we're going when we consider what happened during that 1260-year period of time. The first thing Satan will do in your life is to get you to think very little of the Bible. Anybody realize why, why is the television shows getting better and better as we get, close, come, get closer to the coming of Jesus? You ever think about that? I mean, why, I mean when, there are so many new distractions now to keep us out of the Word. Both of us don't even open our Bibles so we come here to hear what the preacher has to say. And if you lightly regard the Word, you know what will happen? Every evil imaginable will come in your life and you won't even know it. Okay. Let me close this. He is angry. Are we here? Are we here? He's angry. Why? Because he's losing. His time is short. What does he do? He goes after the baby. Cannot win. Goes after him again. Cannot win. Goes after the church. God protects him. So what is he doing now? He's specifically going after those folk who are supposed to be keeping God's commandments and the testimony of Jesus. The children of the woman. Make them care more about pleasure. When they come to church, this is what Satan says. When you get a chance, read C.S. Lewis's book, Screw Tape Letters. And alongside that, read Ellen White's chapter in uh, the controversy, The Snares of Satan. In both of these books, you will find direct quotes from Satan and his clients. It's laid right out there. And look, Satan says stuff like this. Oh, I'm going to get them caught up in money. I'm going to get them too busy. I'm going to get them caught up in pleasure. I'm going to get them to lift up their own opinion over the word of God. I'm going to get them to look down on other people. I'm going to get, their, I'm going to get them to compromise. And I'm going to hold them in that position while they're in church. I'm going to get them to say stuff like, I'm not convicted about that. So what we have in, what we have in America and in the world, really, is a bunch of people walking around with their own church. Y'all do that, I'll do this. And it's really not based on any conviction from the word. It's based on this is what I want to do. Amen. And you ain't going to tell me no different. This is what I'm going to do. And this don't sound no different than Satan in heaven. Do y'all see what we're talking about here, brothers and sisters? And so what does he do? He says, I'll put enmity. Jesus says, the only way I can help these folks is I've got to give them a conscience. I got to give them a place where the Holy Spirit can dwell, where I can be able to have a direct connection to them to tell them you're wrong. One of the best things that can happen in your spiritual life is to be able to have a conscience where God can get through to you and tell you the truth. Most of us don't want to hear the truth. We want to tell the truth, but we don't want to hear it. We want to preach the word of God, but we don't want 
to obey it in our own lives. Come on, talk to me in here. But thank you, Jesus. The prophecy is this, that the only way I can keep them from the deceptive power of the enemy is they're not going to study their Bible. I knew that. They're not going to pray as they should. He knew that. They're not going to obey my commandments. They can't do it. So I've got to put my laws in their heart and in their mind so that when the tempter comes to them, something will wake them up and at least tell them, you're wrong. Thank you, Jesus. Now the devil's confused. Let me tell you why he's confused. Here's the text. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. Now, in the King James Version, it says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and hers. He will crush your head. He who? He who? Now, he's talking to the serpent. He's talking to the serpent. He's saying, look, I got this. You do what you do, but I'm going to put something inside of them. That's going to make them know when you're lying. That's what I want my daughter to have. When that jack leg boy comes talking to her because he really wants what she really he really wants what she has instead of who she is. That's why I'm trying to spend time with my little girl now. Oh, come on, can I preach this? I want her. I want to put more, as much truth in her mind as possible. Now I'm not. I'm not gonna say what she's gonna do and what she ain't gonna do. Come on, say amen. But at least I want her to know. Is that Satan? You got him this time. You got him. You got him. But what I'll do is I'm going to put something inside them called the Holy Spirit. They need help. <laughs> they need help. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. They will not study and pray. They will only show up and hear what the preacher says. They don't care. I know that. So I got to give them some help. <laughs> I will give them the Holy Ghost. Does anybody praise Jesus today for the Holy Ghost? He will keep them in all of their ways. He will preserve their minds when they are lost out there cutting the fool. How many know where you were, when you were, doing what you were doing, when you were doing it, how you were doing it, and you don't know how you made it out? Can I tell you how you made it out? He put enmity in you. The Holy Ghost wouldn't give you rest. The Holy Ghost wouldn't let you keep sinning. The Holy Ghost wouldn't let you keep drinking. The Holy Ghost wouldn't let you keep smoking. The Holy Ghost wouldn't let you keep cheating and lying. The Holy Ghost put something inside of you. Thank God for Jesus. He said the only way, they're not in their Bibles. They will not worship. They will not bless me. They will not serve me. They will not commit. What am I going to do? The Holy Ghost said, Father, I'll go down. The Father has done his job. Jesus has done his job. But can you not let me get in the game? And the Holy Ghost came down inside of us and said, this is the way. Walk in it. Come on in here, y'all. Thank you, Jesus, for the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm going to give you a cliffhanger. You know what that is, right? You're going to be a cliffhanger. Watch this. He will deceive. Will wound your head. You'll wound his heel. 
Which would you rather have wounded? Your heel or your head? The original language does not say wound. It says crush. It says the baby. The baby will crush. This is amazing. A baby is going to crush the head of a dragon. But when he crushes it, the dragon's going to reach forth and try to, but it's just going to scrape and heal. Did you catch that? So, 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 so you know what Satan's job is? Come on, Michelle. You know what Satan's job is? Satan's job now is to look for the baby. I'm going to abort it. Now, y'all think, hold on, Jesus has already escaped. No, no, because, because of the Holy Spirit, we're all pregnant. <laughs> Are y'all hearing me now? Because of the Holy Spirit, we all are pregnant with something. We're the woman. We're the son. And, and guess what? We can produce more babies. <laughs> Come on in here now. You will lead souls to Jesus Christ. He says, I got to stop it. The broken things of the glory of his name. I got to stop her. I got to stop the man from leading his house. I got to stop him because they're pregnant. He's afraid of Jesus. Even Jesus in you. Oh, Father, today. He is angry because he's tired of losing. And so now in desperation, in a last-ditch effort, he is pulling out all the stops to kill Jesus in me. He wants us to belittle the word. He wants us to deny the prophecy. He wants to keep us off of our knees. He wants to keep the Holy Spirit as a thing that is not important in our lives. But Father, today, <laughs> today, today, a king has come back. His name is Jesus. And, and the good news is, is, the only decision that he has ever made but to die on the cross. He has never left us, nor forsaken us. And he's always been here in Cleveland. He's always been here in our homes. He's always been here in our hearts. And he calls out to us now, receive me, believe in me, and take my word seriously. There's such a person today that believes God's word. I want to ask you to stand right now. That's your testimony today. That's your testimony. Is there anybody here today that wants to be faithful? <laughs> you want to be faithful. If you want to be faithful, I want to invite you to come forward right now. You want to be faithful to his word, faithful to his promise, faithful to his voice, faithful. All the deceptions will come. But the Lord said he'll lift up a standard against it. <laughs> the Holy Ghost falls on me. Anointing falls on me. Will we lift this to the Lord? Anointing. Oh. 
Judges chapter 3, verse 31. The word of God says, After Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad, he too saved Israel, just in case you didn't get it one more time. After Ehud came Shamgar, who? Son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox gold. He too saved Israel. What's in your hands? Pray with me, Father. I need your help today. It is impossible for me to impart life-giving truth to your people without your spirit. It does not matter how much I have studied. It does not matter how eloquent I may be. It does not matter what illustrations I can come up with. It does not matter my education or my experience. What matters most today is that your people hear your voice. Hide me behind the cross today so that someone will receive the word and leave this place better than when they first came in. And Father, nothing has changed. My prayer is always the same. If you never do another thing, save us into your kingdom. In Jesus' name we do pray. Let the church say amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I love... Batman. Hmm. <laughs> this is a risk I'm taking right now. But I love Batman. Batman has always been there for me. Since a very young age, I have watched every Batman movie there is. I have seen every Batman television show there is. I love Batman. And I stand here today quite secure in myself when I tell you that occasionally this grown man sleeps in Batman pajamas from time to time. It's only because they're just very warm, I love. Um, I love Batman. In fact, I even have a few Batman action figures, not figurines. They are action figures. I call my car the Batmobile. I love Batman. If there was any superhero I could be, it would be Batman. I've taken a lot of punches over the years for my love affair with Batman because most of my friends and people who are fans of superheroes what they say is Batman is not really a superhero at all. In fact, he is weak. Is that not what you said, Aaron? Yeah, I remember that. Um, he has no place with the Justice League because he has no superpowers. As a matter of fact, they say, man, just look at Superman. If Superman wanted to, 
Superman could crush that man in an instant and snuff his life out because Superman is so strong and Batman is so weak. And for those reasons exactly is why I would say that Batman is a stronger and better superhero than Superman is. Y'all not with me today. Um, when you can shoot laser beams out of your eyes, and when you can leap tall buildings in a single bound, and when you can fly and run faster than the speed of sound, and there is actually no limit to your physical ability, I'm not impressed by that. When you have supernatural abilities that were given to you before you were born that you need to earn more work for. But, but, but when you only got a utility belt strapped around your waist, and you got to study martial arts for years, and when you have to train and discipline yourself to choose the right batarang or the right pellet or the right gun or the right instrument in order to defeat your enemies, as far as John Coulson is concerned, I'm more impressed by Batman than I am Superman. Let's take it to sports for a moment. I'm going to help Pastor Edmonds right now. Um, when you have arguably the best wide receiver in the game by the name of Des Bryant, when you have a titan running back in that of Demarcus Murray, who is literally running through and over people, stacking up yards in order to get to the touchdown, um, when you have a quarterback by the name of Tony Romo that just won't stay down but keeps getting back up to fight, um, you're supposed to win games. Pastor Coxon is not impressed by that. But give me a Brian Hurler in a team that has been the laughing stock of the league for years. Let them come out with a winning record. Now, Pastor Cookson is impressed. Well, I'll go a little bit further, and you may not agree, but I gotta do this one time for the whole team. Give me the Carolina Panthers any day. A depleted wide receiver core, an almost non existent offensive line, a Cam Newton who cannot barely stand on his feet or run because they're letting everybody come in to tackle him. Almost no run game at all. Yet they're still in the hunt for the playoffs. I just believe they are overcome by the blood of the Lamb. I guess what I'm trying to say today is that I love an underdog. And you may not agree with me today, and this is not arrogance, but I just happen to believe that God loves an underdog as well. And, uh, okay, let me help that back up for a minute. Um, Pastor Coltsman is not impressed when, when rich kids come from rich families and end up rich. I'm not impressed when you are born with a trust fund and you have been given every conceivable advantage that this world can offer you before you have had time to work for it or earn it. That does not spell strength to me. But give me the people who aren't born with a trust fund. 
give me the people that have to eat the same meal five days in a row because mama doesn't have the money to make a variety of meals. They don't have the luxury of variety, yet they grow up and make something of themselves. Give me somebody who grew up in an environment that was less than satisfactory, yet they made it out okay. Give me somebody who has to wear hand-me-downs for all of their young teenage years, yet they grow up and make something out of themselves in spite of what they have been through. That's strength to me. I'm not impressed when you've just been given everything. You simply make use of that which, which has been given to you. If you want to impress, this is just me talking right now. Do something with what you got right now. I think that our formula right now as well in this life is that the more stuff we have, the more that we can do. The more opportunities that we get, the more gifts and blessings that we have, the more that we can do. But God's formula is not that at all. God's formula is it does not matter what you have. It all depends on how much faith you have. With how much little you have, I can bless you real good. It's really never a matter of what you have or what you possess. It's really never a matter of how much money you got at the end of the day. God says, if you believe me, I can turn your nothing into something. You don't believe that today. We spend the majority of our time praying and asking God for things. God Give me more stuff so that I can move forward. God, open up this door so that I can do this. When God is saying, use what you have, match it with your faith, and if you will, you can stand before a mountain and say, mountain, be removed, and the mountain will jump into the sea. And we have in the church of God today, a whole bunch of complaining Christians because they do not have what the Joneses have. I can't do this, God. You have given him or her more. You have one talent, but Susie has 15. Take your one talent and do something with it. Take what little God has given you, match it with his great power, and do, ask God to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And there is one text in Scripture today that really puts the entire Christian world to shame. Judges 3 and verse 31. After Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox gold, and he too saved Israel. Before we go there today, I guess I want to back up and give you a little bit of context. Judges 5 and verse 6 is what the word says. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned and travelers took to winding paths. The first thing I notice in this text is this. Shamgar's name is only mentioned twice in all of Scripture. One of those is Judges 5 and verse 6, where the word of God says, In his days, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. 
Amgar was so great in the eyes of God that homeboy was able to get at least two verses in the Bible. Okay, now, here it is. I don't know about you, but this is my biggest fear in life. I may have told this most of the time when I was here. My biggest fear is that I won't reach my potential. These fears that I won't measure up to what God has said for me in my life. What is powerful about this text is that it says, in the days of Shamgar. In other words, they marked a moment in time in the history of Israel by this man, Shamgar. And all I'm praying is that in my life, when I die, on my epitaph, somebody may write in the days of scripture. People got saved. I pray that I'm just not obliterated off the pages of history. I pray that I'm not just here for a moment and I don't stop nobody. I pray that I just go live and I preach and I teach, but yet at the end of the day, nobody knew who I really was and they don't know the God that I serve. It would be a shame before God if Pastor Jackson stood here all his life, preached the word of God till his grace was sore, preached the word of God till he could not preach anymore, and nobody really knew the God that he served. It would be a shame today if you just came into the house of God week after week, prayer meeting after prayer meeting, if you actually come. But nobody in your family really knows the God that you serve. It would be a shame before God if you came in here stomping your feet and clapping your hands at the appropriate places in the message or during the praise and worship set, but yet nobody knows that you serve God? I just wish after I die, somebody will say, in the days of Coxon, whole groups of people got saved. In the days of Coxon, we sure enough heard the word of God. In the days of Coxon, every time he preached, he told us the truth, not just what we wanted to hear. Looking at this passage today, doesn't seem like Shamgar amounted to much. But he amounted to enough to order to get his name in the Bible, and they mark a moment in history just by his life. Now check this out. During Shamgar's day, the word of God says that, that, that the highways were abandoned and travelers took to winding paths. In other words, the days were so bad that people weren't on driving or walking on the normal highways. People were not hanging out in public places. The crime rate was ridiculous. Rape and murder were absolutely out of this world. I mean, people were doing crazy things, had no regard for God. And in fact, the word of God says because Israel had no king during this time, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. There was no order. There was no law. You think nowadays people getting shot in the street is bad. Go back into history during the time of the judges. But they were literally sacrificing their children before foreign gods. Go back during this time at any point in your life and you could be killed right here in Israel during the time of the judges. During this time, the highways were abandoned and travelers took to winding paths. And we all know the story of Judges real well. The context is actually very simple to us. Man, during this time, Israel sinned against God over and over again. A repetitive cycle just took place. God would raise up a judge to save them. They would go right back into their sins. 
They would sin against God, sacrifice children to foreign gods. They would worship foreign gods. Then enemies would come in. The Ammonites and the Moabites and the Philistines would come in and raid them. They would pray to God. God would raise up another judge. Over and over and over again, God is saving their behind, and they keep going back to the same thing. Now, if you read the beginning of Judges, I'm just building my case. Y'all all right, right? Man, the, the, the word says that when they got into the land, God instructed them to clear out all of the foreign enemies. They did not do it. Therefore, they allowed themselves to be influenced by them. And because of that, they sinned over and over and over again. Now, here, I guess I may as well take a moment. I don't want to preach one point, Pastor, but I got to say this right here. Man, there are some things in our lives right now that God has instructed us to clear the pathway, clear out of our way right now, and we have not done it. Hey, let me come closer to the home. There are people in our lives right now that God has asked us to remove out of the way. And what God is basically trying to tell us is this. You will not go any further in your life until you remove these foreign agencies out of the land. You're praying for a miracle right now. You're asking God to bring you out right now. God is saying, I will not do it until you do what I have told you to do. You're dating the wrong guy. I need your help right now. I mean, you, 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 you're hanging out with the wrong friends. You are keeping the wrong company. You're working at the wrong job. You're declaring the wrong major. God is telling you, in order for me to help you or to bring you up or to bless you or provide any miracles in your life, the first thing you've got to do is clear out the land. And I declare this right now, I may as well say it, some of you have contact in your phone you need to erase before this sermon is done. You've got friends on Facebook right now you ain't got no business being in contact with. You got stuff scrolling on your Instagram right now. Help me, church. That you should not be looking at. You should not be following them. And you ought not have them following you. God tells his people, listen, I'm going to bring you into the land. But, 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 but first thing I want you to do, man, I want you to clear out all the inhabitants. Get rid of these gods. Destroy the foreign lands. Burn down the city, destroy what they have set up, and set up my kingdom, plant my flag in the heart of this territory. They did not do it. They opened themselves up to raids by the Philistines and the Ammonites and the Moabites. And most scholars say that, man, during this time, every once in a while, when the people of God went back to their sin, man, it was just like, 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 like clockwork. And enemies would come over the hills and begin to raid the territory. They would take everything they have, beat up their women and children, put them into captivity, and then God would have to raise up another judge. 
Every time they did, another foreign land would come in and take over God's people and just begin to destroy them and cut them down over and over and over again until they repented, and then God would raise up another judge. And maybe you ought to be thankful today that God gives you second and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances and a hundred chances in your life, no matter how bad you are, no matter how much stupid stuff you do in your life that God told you you shouldn't be doing in the first place. God delivers you and he saves you and he reroutes you again just like a GPS to get you back on track with him. God still makes you victorious in spite of you. It's crazy, man, because man, God's love for his people is unconditional. No matter how much they blaspheme his name, no matter how much they spit in God's face, no matter how much they insult him over and over again, God has mercy on them. And he loves them and sends somebody to deliver them. Well, here's the word of God for you today. Word of God tells us that the people have sinned all over again. God has already delivered them two or three times. They sin one more time. And the word says that there is a man by the name of Shamgar. What's his name? Shamgar. And obviously from the text, Shamgar is just a farmer. All he does is till the soil day in and day out. All Shamgar does is guide his oxen and his cattle and his sheep to where he wants them to go. He is not a soldier. He is not a warrior. And most commentaries say that he is not even an Israelite. He is actually a pagan. He does not even necessarily worship God. Now check this out. And because the text is so short, Pastor Oakman is allowed today to use his sanctified imagination. The word says, man, that they had sinned again. And as Shamgar, picture him now, is leading the cattle and the sheep. And as he's using his plow, man, he, he, he knows what has been happening in Israel time and time again. He knows that every once in a while, raiding parties come into Israel and take everything they have, and then they are left to pick up the pieces. Now, Shamgar may not have been an Israelite, but surely he must have had family living in the city or around about the city. Now, imagine him pushing the plow with his ox. Imagine Shamgar killing the soil. And as he is doing his work on purpose, mind you, as he is doing what he is called to do, mind you, he happens to look up and he hears in his ears the marching footsteps of the Philistines. As he is simply killing the soil, as he does day in and day out, he hears the horns blow. And then after a moment, he begins to hear the shouts of warfare. He begins to hear the clanging of shields against spears. He begins to see the glistening off of the sword as he sees his enemies coming over the mountain path to destroy Israel all over again. And check this out. And God simply lays on his heart to deliver Israel. But he has no weapons. <laughs> he is not a warrior. He is not a soldier. Neither does he really have that much of a vested interest in the battle that's about to take place. But when God 
is really just a glorified stick to guide the oxen and the cattle. And homeboy goes to work and lays dead on the battlefield 600 Philistines. Now, this is interesting to me. He has neither sword nor spear, no shield, no armor, nobody backing him up. He does not have the support of the Israelites, but homeboy says, because God asked me to do it, I'll take whatever I got and use it for God's glory. Now, I guess here's what I'm trying to tell you today. So it really doesn't matter what's in your hands. At the end of the day, what really matters is what's in your heart. Faith is this. Faith is having nothing but trusting God to make something out of it. You're not following me today. Faith in God is having nothing that can help you win the battle. Not having the money to your name. Not having the support of your friends and loved ones. Not having the education. Not having the degree, but applying for the job anyway. Help me, Lord, today. Faith in God is when you got nothing, but you just trust God anyway to make something out of it. And I think God is impressed with the underdog today. What would you say? I think our God is impressed with somebody who knows that they don't have all the skills and abilities that the world says that they should have, but they fight on anyway. Oh, Pastor Cope, some love to a rags to riches story. Love to hear about people who come from nothing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I love to hear a documentary and somebody who did not have the trust fund and they didn't have the support of their parents. In fact, I have to be honest with you, man, I love those stories about people who have just been through the ringer in their lives. Been raped and, and molested, but yet they come out okay. They persevere beyond the pain. And I think what God loves about his people is that when they are put up back against the wall, they have nothing to their name just by intestinal fortitude. They strive to make it in their lives. They persevere through the pain and they push through the adversity in their life. They work their way through the vicissitudes of this life and make it to the other side. God is impressed by that. God's not impressed by you waiting till you got everything together to make it. Y'all better help me today. God is not impressed that you only serve him when everything is good in your life. God wants to know that despite what you're going through, no matter whether you can see him or hear his voice or not, you're still moving forward. All right. I don't know if any one of us has an excuse today. Whatever you've got, use it. Whatever is in your hand, use it. Whatever has been given to you, use it. Stop making excuses. Help me hold the ghost right now. Stop complaining for what somebody else has and use what God has given you. And what you might find out is God has given you enough. All right, let me say this, man. 
for nothing that you have plus God is better than what anybody else has. The absence of something in your hand plus God makes you more powerful than anybody else. The lack of what you can come up with plus God makes you more fortuitous than anybody else in the world. One with God and dirt in the majority. I'm impressed by this man. Really only one verse that describes his story, and we don't have much in order to, 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 to talk about him today. But your boy takes a stick and goes against an army of 600 and kills them all. You know what's interesting, my man, is I thought about this thing. Like, yo, even if he just lined each of them up and began to hit them over the head to try to crack their skulls, he still would not be able to do it, let alone on the battlefield where people are shooting bow and arrows, where people are throwing spears and charging at him at full force like something out of 300, homeboy still prevails. It just seems to me that Shamgar had an extraordinary type of faith that is lacking in the church today. We need more in order to do more. God says you need less stuff and more faith plus me and you can do whatever you want. We got to have more to do more. God never said that. At the end of the day, all you need in your life right now, I need you to hear me right now, you need God. Not church. Yeah. Not music. And you don't need not nearly another sign from God. You just need to put your faith in what you already know and trust God anyhow. Okay, let me say this. You may not agree with me. Actually, actually, man, I believe that the word of God encourages us to lie. The word basically tells us to say, when you are weak, no, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. The, the, the word actually encourages us to lie about our situations and to speak the word of faith. I shall live and not die. Y'all ain't with me today, man. The word of God encourages us to speak positively even when we have nothing positive to speak about. And the reason many of us right now, we will never slay 600, and we'll never get through what we're going through, and we'll never persevere, and we'll never overcome, is because we are not willing to use what we have. We stop short because God's not giving us any more. And what God is trying to tell you is this, yo, check this out. If you're not even using what I gave you already, like why would I give you any more? The Word of God says those that are faithful in little will be faithful in much. 
You are asking God to give you more money, but you, okay, you have not been faithful in tithes and offerings. You're not using the stick God gave you. You want God to fix your marriage, but you ain't willing to admit when you're wrong. You're not using the stick God gave you. You think you've got to get more degrees and more education. You've got to get more certifications and more qualifications in your life right now when God's already told you to apply for the job, but you will not do it because you don't believe God can do it for you. You're not even using the stick he gave you. God would be more impressed with his people. His people would start using the little that they have, and God would turn it into much. And you remember that story of the woman in the Bible, Jesus and the disciples, man. They, they were watching um, the people come in and, and give their offering. There was one lady who just took like a little mite, and just two little mites, and, and threw it in there. The disciples, they were just like, man, she ain't really giving nothing. Look at her. Dad, she'd come up in here giving those two little pence. And you know that's a shame before God. Jesus looked at them square between the eyes and began to tell them, it's like, yo, man, check this out. You Pharisees, you, you, you come up in here and you give out of your abundance. But this woman has put in all that she has. She is more blessed than you are. God is trying to tell us, man, to not concern ourselves so much with what is in our hands, but to put faith in what his word says that he can do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ever ask, think, or imagine, no matter what you have. God's trying to encourage us today. It does not matter where you are or where you have been or where you are coming from or the environment that you live in or how much education you got. If you use it for the glory of God, God will bless you. I know it. I know it. I know it. The natural trend nowadays is to pray for prosperity in your life. Pastor Coaching does believe in prosperity, by the way. I do believe that the word says that he will make us the head and not the tail. I believe that when we pray and we ask God, God says, prove me now herewith. And see, if I will open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. God does tell us that. I do believe in a prosperity message. But really, what I really want to tell you today is this. Don't be faithful where you are. Use what you have where you are. And do the best you can with it. And by God's grace, God will bless the little offering that you give him and work it out for your good. But if you're not even willing to use the little that you've got left, God is not inclined to bless you anymore. You won't even study your Bible, yet you will claim, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You don't even know what that text means. Okay, all right. Well, uh, you ain't even read the context of the passage. We have people today that will claim all manner of promises from God's word. 
but do not spend any time in his presence. And you know what? It's, it's very possible, man, for you to know the word of God and not have a relationship with God. Okay, let me help you. I heard this from Andy Stanley. I may as well say it. Man, what, what do you think is more impressive to God? You knowing 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, or actually loving somebody. What do you think is more valuable to God? You being able to quote 1 Corinthians 13 backwards and forwards, love is patient, love is kind, or you actually going out into the world and loving people. God is more impressed by what you do with what you have, very little impressed by what you know. A whole lot of people know a whole lot of stuff. God is like, I don't care. What are you doing with what I have told you? I told you before, man, one of my favorite authors says, man, most of us go miss heaven by 18 inches, just the distance from the heart to the head. We download all these sermons. We download all these messages. We have the word in our, in our heads. We know all this knowledge. We know the 23 day prophecy. Man, we know everything, all the doctrines of the church and all this kind of stuff. But we have never allowed that word to penetrate our heart so it finds its way into our hands where we actually do something for God. Okay. In James, the word of God tells us this, man. He says, you, you call out on the name of the Lord and you tremble at his name. Uh, James says, you know what, that's very good. But even the demons, they believe and they tremble. That does not impress me. What impresses me is you use whatever you've got, disability and all, deformity and all, lack thereof and all, absence thereof and all, and you put it to use for my glory, God says, I will bless you. The one point message today. Man, I look at a story like Shamgar, and I see homeboy picking up a stick and defeating 600 armed soldiers. And then the Bible says, he too saved Israel. Like, he just got mad enough to take whatever he had and use it to fight with. And I'm hoping that most Christians get mad enough and desperate enough to use whatever they got to fight as well. It's almost like Shambo was like, yo, my family is in this town. I cannot let you up in here. It's almost like Sham goes, like, I'm tired of y'all coming up in here and raiding our stuff and taking all the stuff that we got and blaspheming the name of the Lord. Enemy, you shall not come any further. I wish God's people would have that mentality. I wish you would take the stick that is in your hand and say, enemy, you can come no further. You shall not succeed. You will not have the victory. Leave my children alone. Get out of my marriage. Remove yourself from my house. Take your hands up from my education and pray to God that God will deliver you. I know God wishes. He had some more Christians that were willing to stand and fight 
even when it's inconvenient. Most of us today, we're afraid to tell the job we can't work on the Sabbath. Help me, Holy Ghost. We're afraid to even bow our heads in the restaurant nowadays. We, we, we are afraid to claim the promises of God. And it is an insult to God that we call ourselves Christians and do not use the middle he has given us. Because frankly, what we are telling him is that, God, what you have given me is not very much. I can't do anything for you. And God is like, oh, I have given you plenty. The stick you got is not just a stick. It really depends on, on whose hands the weapon is in. All right. Matthew Henry says this. He says, it makes no difference, the weapon, as long as God directs and strengthens the arm. It does not matter what you use. If God is with you, you cannot fail. It does not matter what you pick up in fighting the battles that you have to fight in life. If God is backing you up, you cannot lose. If God is with you, you will win every single time. The weapon is not really the issue of contention. What is in contention right now is who is holding the weapon. All right, you heard it before. And a basketball in my hand is probably worth at most about 10 bucks. But a basketball in the hands of Michael Jordan is worth a multi-million dollar career. Okay. A football in my hands probably worth $15.99 at most. But put that football into the hands of Aaron Rodgers. And he can make a multi-million dollar career out of it. A stick is just a stick, but put it into the hands of Shamgar, a believer of God's word, and Shamgar will leave 600 people dead in the battlefield. Put a few pennies in the hands of Steve Jobs. Put your limited education into the hands of somebody who actually believes God's word. And see how much better off they come out than you. <laughs> Take the little stuff you're complaining about right now and put it into the hands of somebody that does not have a place to sleep tonight. Put the measly stick you got into the hands of somebody who does not know where the next meal is coming from. And they will lock themselves to the bone until they persevere and make it through. While you complain, the worldly people working harder than you, the worldly people who have more faith than the people of God. I wish I had help today. I think God wants a few more underdogs who are willing to suit up and get on the battlefield with no armor and no protection. 
think, this is just what John Colton believes, that God wants a few more people who are not counting and pitching every dime and penny, but giving to God what he deserves. I fear that God wants people to lie about their situation. And so when the doctor says you are going to die, no, I shall live and not die. My God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I could ever ask, think, or imagine. Brothers and sisters, what is in your hands? And after you finish figuring out what it is, pay no attention to it. And begin to really worry what's in your heart. Do you have enough intestinal fortitude to fight for your children that are lost? Do you have enough courage to fight even though it looks bad in your life right now? Do you have enough faith in God to put the little he gave you to work to deliver you out of the mess you probably put yourself in? Shamgar, a pagan, a heathen, an unbeliever, when it is laid on his heart to do the work of God, picks up a stick off of his plow and believes that it's a sword. And through the power of God, mercy Lord, they 600 dead on the battlefield. Brothers and sisters, Maybe it is time we recognize that we serve a something out of nothing, God. One of the first things the Word of God tells us is this. God stepped out onto nothing. And in His majesty and divine power, created everything you see with your naked eye right now. God stepped out onto nothingness and with his words spoke light. And with his words spoke animals. And with his words spoke this world into existence. And you're telling me with the very minuscule problems that you have right now, God can't bring something out of your nothing? We ought to be ashamed of ourselves. Say we are believers in God. We don't take God at his word. I read one text this week. It was enough to rebuke me. I read this one verse this week, and it was enough to make me get down on my knees and ask God for forgiveness. I complain every day, and I 
complain twice as much as I give thanks. And what we don't recognize is that our situation could always be worse. I once complained because I had no shoes. Because I met a man that had no feet. Complaining. <laughs> Don't want to move into what God has told you to do. Because you're afraid that what you've got is not enough. And God is standing there with his arms wide open and saying, Am I not enough? Am I not all you need? Can I not fix your marriage? Can I not pay your bills? Can I not get you through school? Can I not help you on your job? Can I not comfort you when you've lost a loved one? Can I not open doors for you that no man can shut? Can I not shut doors for you that no man can open? Can I not pave a road for you? And even when I take you to the valley of the shadow of death, do you not believe that I will bring you right back full circle beside still sweet waters and cause you to lie down in green pastures? Am I not God? Am I not the God of all flesh? Is there anything too hard for me? Am I not the same God who told you that my thoughts are above your thoughts? And my ways are above your ways. Have I not told you once and before? I command you now, have courage and be faithful in God and move forward. Am I not the same God scripture that you keep hearing the pastor preach about but you really don't believe? Am I not enough for you? Do you really need more stuff to make it through? Or if I give you more stuff, Will you forget about me? Am I not enough? I'm waiting for you to just use what you got. Where you are. And by God's grace, do the best you can with it. I'm impressed by Shamgar today. Jesus. I'm impressed by people in the world. You better keep on playing because I'm going to keep on preaching. I'm impressed by people in the world who grew up in broken homes. They, they, they don't even have food to eat. But just in their heart of hearts, even though they don't really believe in God, and they just believe that they're going to make it somehow. They ain't got nothing. No savings. They ain't got no retirement. They ain't got no pension. I ain't got nothing in my life to fall back on. Yet, they believe that they're going to make it somehow. From week to week, the house of God is filled with people who hear his promises from day to day. All God said is, man, you don't need nothing else but me. If you got me, you're going to make it. And if you believe God's word, I want you to stand right now. That's all I want you to do. <laughs> and I guess today, since I'm here, I may as well do it. <laughs> if you just want to affirm what the man of God has told you today, 
this one is not scripture, man. I want to use what I got. I'm going to ask God to forgive me for complaining all the time. I'm just going to be content. I have learned whatever situation I find myself in. I have just learned to be content. If that's you, just make your way down here. Let's just pray today. Let's just pray. Let's just pray. I ought to be down here myself. I'm, I'm down here right now because I don't have much. And I have to admit, I'm more prone to complain than anything else. Remember, it's not about what's in your hand. It's really what's in your heart. What, what, what do you believe? Do you believe the stick is a sword? The stick is a sword. You can use it to fight. <laughs> You're asking God to help you use what you got. Where you are. And just by God's grace, you will do the best you can with it. I wish I had a few more believers with me today. I know you wanted something deep today. That's not what God wants to give you. See, this word, you can take it home and apply today. This ain't a word you got to go and study over and read this and Just go home and believe your bank account is enough.
Count your pennies if you want to. Spend your time worrying about everything you don't have if you want to. And miss out on what God wants to do for you right now in your life. Good choice. You could be a blur in this life and die in obscurity. Or you can use what you got where you are and by God's grace do the best you can with it. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for your word. Your people have come to the altar not because of the messenger, but because of the message. What we all realize now today, this one moment, is that whatever we got is enough. If we place it in the hands of an almighty God, he can do for us what we never thought was possible. Now I know as we differ in faith, as we differ in needs, those that have come have come for different reasons. Some have come, oh God, because their families are broken. I want you to encourage them right now. They are tempted to leave the church or to leave you. But I want you to guide them and direct them. Somebody in the sound of my voice who is looking for a job but afraid to apply. They don't have the qualifications. I want you to give them a cu- some the courage, oh God. Pick up that stick. Somebody has a dream, oh God. That you have put in their heads to write the book. <laughs> Share their story. To do something they're not accustomed to doing. Encourage them today to pick up that stick. When it's all said and done, may we all like Shamgar. He's 600 dead on the battlefield. We declare today that the enemy shall not advance against us. The enemy of souls will not prevail. The enemy of darkness shall not succeed in our lives. For the weapons of our warfare, that's it, are not carnal, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. With prayer and with fasting, we can do more than what God ever could. We believe your word today. Bless us, holy God. Use us, John. Chapter 16, 33. Peace I give to you, not as the world 
man I look right Seem tricky but me still now to lose like Keep my heart in check Because even got to let me fall by the wayside Search me up father Remove every simple desire I cannot bear all the days of evil I will be strong Like a warrior in a Kazame Faithful and righteous In bed of God we are all yeah. Except the Lord will be strong Every day So I look to the king When my help comes I don't want to be cast away I will stand and be counted, stand and be counted. Yeah, even though I'm missing you, don't you be discouraged. Don't you be discouraged. Don't you be discouraged. Don't you be discouraged.
is the place for the consistent music you've got accustomed to. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. 7 days a week. This is your location for maximum music.
we say the mighty God, mighty, 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 mighty. We say the mighty God, mighty, 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 mighty. Oluwa is mighty, oh. In my sickness, in my body. We serve a mighty God, mighty, 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 mighty. Do you want a physician? He will give you a physician. I tell you, the Lord is mighty. Tell us what that is, Mr. President. Don't be the master. Don't be the master. Run away from all your money. He's a superior God. We serve a mighty God.
And my name 
Pressure fell on me. I thought I was gonna lose my mind. 
I will listen and be 
And on that day, when my strength is faint, the end draws me, and my time has come. Fill my soul with sin, your pre-unending. Ten thousand years and then
All I could, I could I will hear, I find my right. Yes, out here, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. All I need, all I need, everything I need, my one is my righteousness, all I need.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.